Hi everybody. Um, we're back to regular timing um, in the evening. We like tried out the day and I, we did have some viewership, um, but I think we're gonna stick to the nighttime. So thank you everybody for joining. We are up to the fourth part of the Breast of Book Club. I'm gonna give it a second while people are coming in. Um, today on Thank You Hashem Instagram, we posted swipe ups to the previous classes. So for those of you who are not up to date, you're welcome to rewatch. They're all there. Um, welcome, everybody. Okay, so we need like, you know, like the recap on like previously on the Breast of Book Club, we need one of those. Um, we'll just recap in like one minute or less. Um, basically, we are reading the story of the Lost Princess, the story of Rabbi Nachman. We are following along with an incredible book called The Story of Our Lives by Rabbi Yaakov Klein. And in this, we are learning the story of the Lost Princess. So Rabbi Nachman tells a wonderful tale that anybody who heard this story thought of Teshuva. He tells the story of a princess who had, she, her father, the king, had six sons and one daughter, and he loved her very much. And on one particular day, he got upset at her, and he said, may the no good one take you. And she went into her room, and she was taken, and she's gone. And the king tried to find her, and he was unable to locate her. And then the viscery, the king's viscery, um, came to look for her and we explained how he asked for a horse and he asked for um, a servant and he asked for um, money to be able to go out on his journey and we explained what those provisions um, meant. We also explained that he went through a desert and through a forest and through a field and then finally he found his own approach and his own way on the side to go find the princess. And tonight we are going to talk about the palace that she was taken into. So for those of you, like I said, who've missed it, all the classes are still posted, they're online, they'll be made into a podcast. And um, tonight we're gonna talk about the pleasant facade of the evil. So basically the princess, she was when she was taken by the no good one, she was taken away, she was whisked away, um, and we didn't know where she was. And now the viscery is trying to locate her. So he says, after some time, he saw a castle. So now if we're going along with like the Disney mode of this con of this story, right? You would imagine like she was found in like a haunted castle and it was like so scary and there were ghosts outside, right? But actually, what does it say? It says after some time he saw a castle and there were many soldiers that stood around it and the castle was very beautiful and it was neat and the troops were very orderly and the viscery was afraid that the soldiers wouldn't let him enter. But he thought it over and he said, I will go ahead and I will try. And he left behind his horse and he went to the castle and the soldiers didn't stop him. He was just able to go right in. And finally he came to a hall and he saw the king and he saw, um, he was sitting there with a the crown and there were many soldiers and there was music and um, there was a lot of food. And then he sat down to watch what happened next. Um, I think what's incredible here is that you know, we assume that if somebody was taken by the palace of the no good one and there was evil, there was definitely, you know, haunted, ghosts, something very scary. But what we actually see here is that there was a very well-mannered bad guy. And sometimes that kind of throws us off. You know, like, for example, how he explains in the book, a well-mannered Amalek. You know, the place of no good, it just, you would think that it would look no good. But here what we learn, which is a little scary, is that when it comes to evil, sometimes it doesn't have to appear physically evil to be spiritually evil. And Rabbi Nachman is actually teaching us here that 
it's really not always the case. Like we don't have to have this old, haunted, scary castle and think that that's where the bad guy lives, that's where the Yetzirah is. And actually sometimes the Yetzirah is beautiful and well-mannered and orderly and neat and organized. And, you know, sometimes we think of like the Germans, right? Like the Germans were literally a Malik, right? Hitler, Imachmo, and they were actually the most orderly of our enemies. They were, you know, strict formation and everybody walked straight and everybody, you know, how Hitler, everybody was so perfect and so manicured that you wouldn't assume that that was evil, but that's actually the worst of all evils. You know, the gematria, the American value of a malik is suffolk, which is doubt. And what they do is they plant this seed of doubt that like, hmm, even though it's looking pretty good, uh, maybe it's not. Right? So this facade where we think that it's perfect and it's good, that's actually where the princess was taken and she was hidden. Um, so I think it's a very cool concept if we realize that, you know, evil doesn't always have to look like, you know, the scary Nachash. It actually can be, you know, presented beautifully to you. So it's a little scary. Um, but what happened is the Viscera was about to go in and he was like a little scared that he wasn't going to be allowed to go in. Um, this idea of not being afraid is something that we see that the Viscera has throughout the journey. He's very courageous and he is not worried about going, you know, about letting his fears attack him. But, you know, the, so he, he could have been standing there and saying, oh my gosh, it's such a perfect, orderly, beautiful castle. There's music playing, there's food there no one's gonna let me in. Like, I'm not gonna be able to get in. Like, I need a passport, I need a vaccination card, I need something to get in, but actually he doesn't. And he says to himself, you know, I could be scared and I could tell myself that there's no point in me going any further because how am I gonna get in here? I don't have the password, I don't have the code to get in. But what does he actually do? He says, you know what? There is no reason for me to be afraid, I can go. These are the most famous words of Rabbi Nachman that we should not be afraid. Um, I think we always sing it every Shalashadis in camp, right? right? The whole world is a narrow bridge and you should not be scared. So he actually makes the attempt to go find her. And we learn that when he's about to go into the palace, he actually leaves his horse behind. Um, we learned that the horse represents the physical body. And before he went out to attempt a journey to go out and find the princess, he leaves all his physicality behind. This is actually kind of twofold because you can say that in order for me to connect to my spiritual self and to go out and find the princess, I need to leave my physical behind in order to connect, right? That's like Yom Kippur syndrome. We need to leave our food. We need to leave our physicality. We need to not wear leather shoes. We need to not be able to eat or drink in order to connect to something spiritual. Or it can happen as a byproduct that you connect so much to your spiritual side of you that all the physicality just actually slips away. And then that's not important anymore. So what happens here is that the viscery he leaves his horse behind. It represents the inner tzaddik rejecting physicality, but it also represents that he had such a deep yearning to find the princess and to connect to his spirituality that it just happened by chance that it fell behind. Um, so his body has risen so much from the physical that all he had left was the spiritual. So he ends up going into the palace. And what's interesting is that he had total accessibility when it came to the palace. You would think like he's going there, he's going to find the princess and you know he's about to enter somewhere dangerous and scary and like he would need permission or passwords to get in. And it says that he doesn't. He's able to roam free. It says like once he, he leaves his palace behind, he leaves his horse behind and he's able to go and the soldiers don't stop him at the palace gates and the soldiers don't question him and they don't ask him anything. And he continues to go on his journey to find the princess. So he making his way in. And you know, this is kind of like the nature of impurity. You would think that um, unholiness 
or impurity or taivas or something is something grotesque and something scary. And now we're showing you that it's actually not. It's actually a beautiful palace and it's filled with music and good food, but it's just devoid of spirituality. So, you know, you can be so confused. Like you could think like, what do you mean? I would know if the eight is coming out to get me. And here we're saying, no, actually you won't know. It's going to be good food and it's going to be sushi and it's going to be wine and it's going to be good music and it's going to be calm and we're going to let you come in and you can join and you don't have to pay membership and it's just like come right in. So unholiness in its essence is very easily accessible and here we see that Rabbi Nachman is saying that you're able just to waltz into this beautiful palace and just be sucked in to the dark side. So um, there's also food there. And you know, us Jews, we just have a special relationship with food, right? Anytime it comes to a holiday, it's like, well, they came and they tried to destroy us and they didn't destroy us and we won, so let's eat, right? All acts of eating, by the way, we learn in, um, we learn through the teachings of Rabbi Nachman and through all the teachings of the other Hasidic masters, we learn that eating, even though it's physical, can actually be elevated to something very spiritual. And that's when we eat to nourish ourselves, to be able to have the strength to be able to do mitzvahs. When we eat and we make a bracha on the food, when we, when it, before we do anything, we make a blessing on it, we elevate it. So this idea of eating is still important to us. So the fact that he was able to stand, the visitor was able to stand there and he was able to eat, but he was also able to elevate his eating meant that he was trying to do the right thing. So even a mundane meal can be considered something that's good for your body and something that's that with the proper intention, you can elevate it. So in a very deep way, the eating really can symbolize our very essence of our life. You know, it really fills an empty body and it gives us purpose and meaning to be able to go forward. So he continues through the palace. So we have the viscery who went through the desert, the field, and the forest, and he found his own path on the way on the way to the princess. And then he finds the palace and it's beautiful and it's orderly and there's music coming from it and there's food. And like the musicians are playing the most beautiful music on his way in. He leaves his horse, he leaves, he drops all the physicality, and he steps in. And what happens? He then discovers the princess. This is it. This is like the climax of the story, right? He saw that the king requested for the princess to come, and lo and behold, who is that princess? That's the princess that he's searching for. Um, she's the lost princess, and right away it says that she recognized him, and he recognized her, and she said, do you know me? And he's like, yes, I know you. You're the lost princess. I've been looking for you. Um, so we explained that the lost princess actually represents this idea where people lose their uh, their passion, their innocence, their excitement, and it grows dim and things get harder for us and we're not as excited. And here we are, we see the lost princess and all he wants to do is get to her. You know, we assume that she was in this dark dungeon. She's actually not. She's in this beautiful, beautiful palace. So um, she's actually kind of entrapped in this palace and he's going to try to find a way to find her. So now I'm gonna go ahead a little bit further and I'm gonna explain that this concept of the recognition and why it's so important. The first thing that happens in the conversation is she says, I'm the lost princess, do you know me? Like, you know, and he's like, of course I know you, we've been looking for you. And this idea that when somebody is stuck in the dirt or in a difficult place or bogged down or, you know, put under a lot of pressure, you know, you would think that people don't remember who you are. People don't remember who you were originally. And I think this idea of that, the fact that she was able to recognize something that even though she's been away far, far away from it for, for a long time, and the Viscery hasn't seen the princess in a very long time, the fact that they discover each other is saying that you're able to locate the true identity of the princess even when it's covered under this facade of evil. I'm so glad that you're enjoying it. I see somebody's commenting. Um, this idea where 
All she needed to hear was, I'm the lost princess, do you, do you remember me? And right away he's like, of course I remember you. That already uplifted her spirits and was able to start the process of her being taken out of the palace, of her being like, of, of setting up like a, like a, an escape plan, right? In order to set up an escape route, she first needed to be discovered. Um, and the idea that when, when he goes out to find her, there's kind of like these stirrings of redemption where she says, you know, she asks him, how did you get here? He, he, I'm sorry, the Viserys asked the princess, how did you get here? And she's like, well, it all started when my father said, may the no good one take you. And I ran off to my room and this is where I ended up. This is the place of no good. This is the evil place that I'm stuck in. And he's realizing, one second, this is it? This is the place of the no good one? And he's like, how can I get you out of here? And she says, well, you know, it's really impossible to get me out of here unless you choose for yourself a place and you work there and stay there for a year. So in order to, for us to understand how she ended up here, the fact that she was able to reconnect that her father was the one who sent her here is very, very key and very, very important. And obviously this is an abridged version of the book and we're gonna go through this quickly, but I think this point is very important. The fact that she was able to recognize her father after all these years, and the Viserys says, what do you mean? Your father's looking for you. And I came out here to find you. She immediately felt this sigh of relief and said, one second, he's still looking for me? You mean my father, the king, you, you know him? The fact that she was able to reconnect to her father is so key in her escape plan. She realized right away, oh my gosh, my father, he still remembers me, he still cares about me. This concept of discovery is so important. Like sometimes we get so lost in like where we are. We're like, there's no way Hashem remembers us. Like I'm so deep down in like the murky waters that like he doesn't remember me. And the fact that this is saying no, like your absence caused your father pain. You know, he's been looking for you for so many years. Like you came here to find me. These words are so powerful. As soon as she hears this, she goes, okay, I'm gonna tell you what to do. You need to go find a place and you're gonna spend a year there. And during that year, you're, all you're gonna do is think about me and yearn for me and create for yourself a space where you can find me. I think one of the most foundational prerequisites for having a relationship with Hashem or with your spouse um, or with a parent or with a child is to be able to know who you are, to have a secure identity with yourself. She said, go out there for a year, do expose to this, find yourself. Find out who you really are as a person and that will allow you to come back and find me. She does give him some conditions. She tells him that on the last day he can't eat, um, similar to Yom Kippur, right? Where you have to remove yourself from all physicality and then you're gonna be able to find me. Um, the truth is I'm gonna give you a little uh, foreshadowing. I'm gonna tell you that the first year he actually messes up the viscery. He makes a mistake and he eats on the last day. And then she tells him, oh my goodness, you made a mistake, don't worry, I'm gonna make it easy for you. Um, and she keeps giving him more conditions to find him. But I think what we're gonna end off on this class is that the most important thing that you can know here is that you think you could fall far. You think like, oh my gosh, my father does not remember me. But you know what, years later, the viscery is still there and he's still looking to locate the princess and bring her back to her father. I think we need to constantly say that to ourselves that like people are looking for us. Hashem is looking for us. Hashem wants us to come back. And if you have the courage just to look for that viscery in your life when you're maybe lost, that will help bring you back. Um, so I'm going to leave you with these ideas. Um, what we're going to tackle next week is the concept of this desire to be able to free the princess. That was so holy and so important. Um, so we're going to 
We're going to begin next week with that. Um, and then we're going to explain the journey of how he went out to locate her. Um, so if anybody has any questions, please feel free to message me. Um, for those of you who are reading the book, this is a little bit abridged. It is a little quick, um, but it's just to give you a taste, just to wet your palate to get a little bit more. So thank you so much for joining. Um, and if anybody has any questions, like I always say, you can message me and I'll see you next week. Thank you.